Welcome to my podcast, Aging with Grace, designed for anyone who wants to enjoy the journey of a lifetime after age 55. This series provides useful tips, not only for taking care of yourself, family, and friends, but also how to enjoy life more abundantly than many even thought possible for people ages 55, 65, 75, and beyond. Some of our guests are doing what many listeners only dream about or maybe even never thought possible. So relax, enjoy their stories on this unique lifestyle podcast, and be prepared to share your own along with hearing useful tips and vital information for everyone aging with grace. Episode 5 features part 1 of a two-part interview with Chuck Dent, who shares his incredible personal journey of losing 100 pounds. Nazareth Home President and CEO Mary Haynes discusses her professional and family experiences navigating challenges posed by the ravages of Alzheimer's disease. And as part of our I Remember When segment, we meet Vic and Colleen Bitter, married in 1969 and who share fond memories. This podcast, presented in collaboration with Kentucky Chapter AARP, concludes with an inspirational segment about a boy who everybody treated as a nobody, but who, as an adult, found that inspirational spark to become a somebody who attracted worldwide acclaim and fortune. Let's take a few minutes to center ourselves as we begin today's podcast. Research indicates being mindful requires doing so at least once or perhaps as often as we can every day. Let's practice staying in the moment, which is easier said than done. With so much going on, there's always something that says, worry about this, wring our hands about that. Let's not do that. Let's stay in the moment because mindfulness teaches Instead of longing for a past that we certainly cannot revisit, or worrying about a future which is not promised to anyone, that we focus only on the here and now. There's an old adage which says, yesterday is the past, tomorrow is the future, which makes today a gift, which is why we call it the present. That's right, friends. Today is the only day we have for trying a different course of action. Making a decision to do something or being just as determined not to do something. Yesterday will always be gone. And right now, today, we certainly cannot touch tomorrow, right? But we can make decisions right now, today. Decisions that will favorably or adversely affect our future tomorrows. So the challenge, my friends, is this. Let's resolve to be a better person, neighbor, husband, wife, brother, sister, a better daughter, friend, or wherever you find yourself today, which can pay off in huge dividends tomorrow. My next guest, we're going to talk about something which is very challenging for all of us. You know, the ideal weight. What is it? What does it look like? And how do we get there? Especially considering that uh, everything in our society talks about eat, eat, eat. And then on the other side of the same coin, we have uh, popular weight loss programs, which are fed by a billion dollar industry of fad diets, 
and diets that actually work. Some are fads, some are real. How do you make a choice as a consumer? And I submit that uh, one of the easiest ways to do it is a diet that I read about, which says, do this only three seconds a day and watch the weight disappear. I'm going to bring in someone in a minute who's going to share his own story about uh, losing uh, 70 pounds. But as we get there, the average human body can have between 10 to 30 billion fat cells. And the amount of fat cells in a person's body is set during adolescence and levels off into adulthood. However, if you're an obese child, you will add twice as many fat cells compared to a child of average weight as you mature. Regardless of weight, we replace about 8% of our fat cells every year. Your fat cells shrink when you lose weight because of an energy deficit and your body's release of waste products. So how do we get to that energy expenditure? How do we make that decision, which has got to be the toughest decision to lose weight when everything screams at you and says, eat, eat, eat? Well, my next guest, Chuck Bent, has actually done that. He uh, worked for a Fortune 100 company, and he lost 70 pounds. And he's been, uh, if he can do it, then all of us can do it. And Chuck, are you there? Uh, yes, I'm here. I'm sorry. Welcome to Aging with Grace, Chuck. Go ahead, buddy. Well, well thank you. Uh, nice, nice talking to you. Actually, it was over 100 pounds that I lost. Oh, wow. That's even more significant. So you said during our uh, initial interview that you saw a picture of yourself and you didn't even recognize that guy. Walk us through that. Well, actually, I was um, had a couple of celebrations in our family and my sister loves to take pictures, and I kept seeing pictures of myself where I was I was just completely disfigured, uh, looked grotesque that I thought. And I, um, mm. and I wanted to make a change, but I wanted badly to make a change. But um, something inside of me said that I couldn't do it. I tried in the past to lose weight. It was unsuccessful. Or actually, actually I'd rather I would, I would lose 30 pounds only, only to gain 40 back. And I did that several times over my lifetime. Uh, so uh, when I was disgusted with myself and I wanted to lose weight. I was afraid I couldn't do it, that it wouldn't work. And I, I remember one time I saw, uh, about two months before I started the program that I'm on, um, I saw a, a friend, Louie, and I said, Louie, oh my gosh, you look amazing. How much weight have you lost? He goes, I lost 60 pounds. And I said, I got 30 more to go. And I said, how'd you do it? And he told me, uh, he said, well, miles on HMR. And I, and I said, you know what? I'd heard about it. I'd seen people do it before. I knew it was successful, but I was just afraid that I would fail one more time. But then about two months later, I was walking up a flight of stairs at the house, 13 steps, halfway up that flight of stairs, I had to stop and catch a breath. And that was the day something inside of me snapped. Mm. And I said, that's it, I'm done. Mm. And I made one phone call and I joined the program that I knew would work. And, uh, and it, was, it was easy. It was easier than I thought. And uh, I went on to lose 80 pounds that first year. And then um, I saw a picture of myself running a race. I saw I still had a belly on me. And I said, you know, we can do better. And so I, um, I went on to lose, uh, made, I made it even 100 pounds. And actually, I went on beyond that to about, about 108 was my maximum. Yeah. Well, you know, you talk about uh, making that decision. And you talked about, uh, you know, we, we, some people uh, talk about starting and, not, and stopping. And I guess those are called yo-yo diets, right? Yes. Uh, lose weight quickly. And then the lost weight becomes lean muscle tissue. Then you put the weight back on. It becomes fat, not muscle. That, could, that seems like a vicious cycle. Yeah, yo-yoing is um, 
is vicious because what happens is we, we go back to our old behaviors. You know, we're, we're, uh, with a diet, a, um, a diet's a change, and we, we, a diet is by definition designed to fail. So we, a diet has a starting point and a stopping point. So we want to lose 30 pounds, go to the high school reunion, to go to that wedding, whatever it might be, to that event. And then we, we change our behaviors. We cut all the breads. We cut out desserts and cut out pasta, whatever it might be, and ice cream. And um, we lose that 30 pounds. We go to the high school reunion. We feel pretty good about ourselves. And then uh, what do we do? We slowly, slowly, slowly get back into our old behaviors. And what's going to happen? We're going to go back to our old weight. It never fails. So uh, it's, it's about lifestyle change. So in order to to lose the weight and keep it off, it's about lifestyle change. Mm-hmm. Well, the, then that would suggest a higher level of discipline, because I think we can agree that the food uh, fast food industry is, is not necessarily in about people not eating when they want to at a moment's notice to satisfy our craving. And that's what kills us, right? Uh, yes, it, it's challenging. It's hard. Our whole environment is set up to uh, completely sabotage us. Um, you walk to the grocery store, you see all kinds of labels that say new, improved, healthy, organic, gluten-free, whatever it might be, one-third less fat and one-third less salt. Um, and all of that is just a gimmick because every single one of those items is is uh, uh, pretty much guaranteed to be um, uh, very high calorie, very calorie dense and, and going to sabotage you. It's just a gimmick by the food industry. Hmm. So it's hard, hard to really learn how to eat, how to eat right. Years ago, I won't mention the name of the uh, organization, uh, the fast food chain, but there was a gentleman named Michael Moore who did a, a documentary called Supersize Me. And he religiously ate at a fast food uh, giant uh, and gained a, an ungodly amount of weight, which you just would not believe possible just from consuming what appeared to be good food at a cheaper rate. Um, yes, but it was just high, high, high calorie, high salt, you know, just, mm-hmm. uh, that's not, that's not the way to do it. So, um, um, it's, uh, the key to success long-term is going to be lots of fruits and vegetables. Uh, it's all based on calorie density. In mm-hmm. other words, look, look at the calorie density of the foods you're going to eat. Vegetables on, on, on average are 100 to 200 calories per pound. 100 Fast to 200. Like, how much Chuck? Uh, one to 200 calories per pound. Okay. For vegetable, for vegetable fruits like two to four hundred calories per pound. Mm-hmm. Uh, chicken, I think, is like eight hundred calories per pound, roughly. Uh, fast food is more along the lines of fifteen hundred calories per pound. Wow. So, uh, yeah. Do the math, and guess what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the recommendations from the uh, in my research I was reading, we talked about eating a minimum of twelve hundred calories a day. Is that about right in your estimation, in terms of your own personal journey? Uh, that would be kind of like a minimum. Uh, a lot of people, when they try to do a diet, they will um, they'll starve themselves or cut way back in the food. And all that does is put your body into a survival mode. and It's not going to lose the weight in survival mode. So your body can eat all kinds of, uh, in order to lose the weight, your body needs to have uh, enough nutrients uh, for it to survive and live uh, healthily, um, but to also create enough of a calorie deficit to lose the weight. So there's a sweet spot there. Uh, and also people that work out a lot or exercise a lot, 1200 calories a day is going to put them into that'll put them into the deficit. If they do 400 calories a day and working out, that drops them down to like 800 calories per day net. Mm-hmm. And that's too low. Mm-hmm. For so, folks who are listening to my uh, podcast, Aging with Grace, we're talking, talking with uh, Chuck Bent on his personal journey of losing 100 pounds, uh, which is an amazing journey. And Chuck, as I was sharing with you, you know, a guy like me, I'm perennially uh, skinny. I, um, weight's never been an issue with me. 
but so therefore, for me to talk to people about losing weight is not as compelling as someone like you who demonstrated the discipline required to actually not only lose the weight, but maintain a healthy weight. Um, it does take some discipline in, in the beginning, I think, uh, in order to you get that mindset. My mind snapped. And once I made my mind up, I'm going to lose the weight. Uh, my mind was snapped. But um, at some point in time, for most people, that that um, motivation will will fade away and they'll gravitate back to their older behaviors. Um, but what um, you have to learn is a successful program will give you uh, skill power rather than willpower. So if you can learn the skill sets as to how to eat successfully for life and how to feel, how to be healthy for life, you can learn that skill set, then um, uh, you're, you're not going so much by, by willpower as skill power. Mm-hmm. That's really a good, that's really good, almost a good mantra, if you will. Um, when you talked about survival mode a, a moment ago, uh, I understand through some research that the body likes to maintain the level of body fat that it's accustomed to, and it makes adjustments to our metabolism and our appetite to stay that way. So it's almost like your body, if it's adjusted to a certain level of metabolism, and, the, and then, it, then the appetite is complicit in maintaining that metabolism or that level, then it seems like it's working against us when we start talking about dieting. Yes, it does work against you in the beginning, but uh, I think studies have shown that after a couple of years, your body can can reset. So if you can, yeah. You know. Would you think that some of your uh, discipline, uh, personal discipline, comes from getting a master's degree in theological studies and the oh. disciplines that that uh, that studying uh, religion kind of imposes on us or studying? Fa- or I think that's a great law? question, but uh, no. Uh, I wouldn't put the two together. Uh, um, um, interesting concept. I hadn't thought about that, but uh, it, I just, well, actually the, my motivation for losing the weight was also that uh, I was um, going to theological studies to, for, to be a minister. And um, I realized at the end that I wasn't going to be able to be a, an effective minister if I, my body was unhealthy and I was unable to help others because I was too sick myself. So one of my motivators for uh, wanting to lose the weight was to actually get healthy so I can be a better servant, a minister. Oh, that's good. To be a better servant, to be a better example to others. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's, that's quite a compliment to your character and to who you are. I think I was more goal-driven than discipline-driven. I'm not, I'm, I, wasn't, I, was just, I was driven by a goal. As we go to our uh, next segment, we're going to be discussing uh, dementia and Alzheimer's. And as we get into this, and as you know, when you listen to Aging with Grace, we have different uh, subjects that we like to address, spend time with, and find subject matter experts who are willing to share what they have learned, what they have uh, discovered by either application through study or personal experience. In that vein, I'm pleased to introduce Mary Haynes who is the CEO of Nazareth Home. She has not only studied Alzheimer's and dementia, but she's also worked with the esteemed Dr. Virginia Bell at the University of Kentucky and also has some personal experiences along the lines of um, a family loved one uh, who also has uh, has Alzheimer's. Uh, Mary, are you with us? I am, Dale. Thank you for talking about something that I think is so important to aging in America right now. 
Excellent. I think it is, too, as our population gets older, it's uh, certainly on the horizon and becoming more of an issue. I think as we get into it, um, perhaps we can talk about uh, dementia uh, versus Alzheimer's, because it seems like both have been around for more than a century, which means people have likely been mixing them up for that long. But we must know the difference, and there is a difference, uh, and one is broader than the other. Can you kind of comment on that or share your thoughts along those lines? I, I think there is a difference. Uh, for me, over the years, I think it's the most important thing to really look at the person uh, and to see where they are and what they're doing. But you are right that Alzheimer's disease does have more definition to it, and the dementia uh, diagnosis or the dementia paradigm is just that. It's a paradigm of multiple functions and uh, limitations that may come from circulation. They may come from a post-stroke. They may, uh, the multi-infarct, the frontal, uh, maybe a head injury. So the causation for that dementia makes it different than Alzheimer's disease, which traditional Alzheimer's disease, of course, is a progressive uh, neurological disorder that we continue to try to find root cause, but we do know that the causation has to do with the plaques and the tangles and uh, what's going on in that precious brain that we all have that we still uh, have a lot of mystery about. Mm-hmm. So then Alzheimer's is more of a specific brain disease that's progressively and irreversibly destroys memory and thinking skills, whereas dementia, in the simplest term, is simply a decline in mental function that is also irreversible. Would that, would that, would that, would that a good working definition it, it, between it both? It is, and I think with, with some of the dementias, uh, sometimes we think about some of the second degree of Parkinson's or some of the other uh, neurological disorders which uh, may carry other neurological symptoms as well. Uh, But the thing that we do know is even in Parkinson's and Alzheimer's disease, at the end, uh, when you look at a person, they may have very similar characteristics related to gait and balance, what we call proprioception. And uh, so there's, there's many similarities the further you go in any of the brain diseases in what that person begins like. But in Alzheimer's disease, the hallmark is slow. It's over time. It's not dramatic. With some of the uh, uh, dementia diagnoses and the things that we notice as people become um, having problems with function, a lot of times there is a time frame that people can select that they saw that things were going differently. Whereas in Alzheimer's disease, it's always that long look back and you see the gradual deterioration of that person's memory and then all the things that memory does for us each as an individual. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's what makes it so insidious then, right? Because as we age, we certainly encounter some impairment of function and memory. But it seems like, is that what you just said, More, more why Alzheimer's is more of an insidious kind of d- disease? Well, I, I always say if, if I forget where my car keys at my age now, I might wonder about my function. If somebody 20 does it, they know it's their stress. So there's a lot of reasons that uh, memory might fail or 
our impulses may not be level or even, but the thing about Alzheimer's disease is it is a hallmark failure of memory and what memory does. And it does mm -hmm. happen over time. It doesn't happen overnight. So that, would that be something that you would almost equate with like a, like a brain fog? Is that right, kind of what we're talking about? Right. It, it can be. It can be. Whereas when you think of dementia from some sort of brain assault, that is a point in time. You know, you, you begin to have those uh, ischemic areas, that, that uh, small stroke the TIAs that they would be called, but it is a peppering effect on the brain. Whereas mm. Alzheimer's disease is, is a slow buildup of plaque that creates the memory problem. Mm -hmm. Then maybe at this point, we can talk a little bit about maybe some of the, um, as we set our, as we set our stage here, maybe we can kind of talk about some of the, uh, some of the effects or the top 10, um, hallmark, if you will, of Alzheimer's? Like, what should someone be looking for in terms of like the top 10 symptoms, if you will? Well, uh, like, I, I always, yeah, I, I just always encourage people to kind of reflect on what memory does. And memory is not just our ability to know that it's Wednesday uh, or to know what year it is or who's the president. Uh, those things are recall. They are recall, and yes, that surely they are memory. But when you think about what memory does for us, memory really frames that context of how we experience the world. We rely on our prior experiences. We, it's it's a fail. Uh, you know, we know that we're not going to do this because it doesn't work that way. We're going to make choices and selections of things that do work that have been successful in the past. So we're not going to try things that don't work because what we have learned. So memory is tied to our learning. Memory is also tied to our judgment. It's really that executive function. So if you've ever been placed in a position of having any sort of psychological testing or reading that, you'll always see uh, those terms, executive functioning, which is the reasoning, deciding, making decisions, and memory is what allows us to do that because we've learned over the years what works and what does not. Um, so memory is the number one and that slippage. Um, so we've talked about executive function, we've talked about reasoning, and all those get to, related to performance. Mm -hmm. And performance... Uh, and negotiating and navigating then gets to safety. So uh, one of the one of the things that can happen as memory fails is we lose that ability to identify what would be a safety hazard. Our judgment's not working. Our reasoning's not working. So we do things that uh, if our memory was working, we would know were would be unsafe or or therefore fail. Um, when when, when you talk about executive time, control, I'm sorry, I was going to say, just just to clarify, when you say you talk about executive function, does that suggest also a more impulsive behavior? Well, um, so impulsive behavior can 
happen more in terms of that judgment. Yes, absolutely. I, I would kind of put that in that bucket, whereas executive function would be more about decision making. I think often when that piece is not working, the person can be overwhelmed. And that overwhelm can then really uh, drive something that would be more impulsive. We, we've all felt that way, right? I mean, you yes. get so mm-hmm. frustrated. So whether it's somebody puts you on hold or you have to keep looking for your password or we've all had those emotions. So certainly when our memory is not strong, uh, those feelings can become stronger and the feeling of overwhelm and without the reasoning, we're not able to stress manage so much. Um, before you asked me that question, Dale, I was going to reference a little bit of something that always comes up or often comes up with families. And that is how we would tend to fill in the gaps. Mm-hmm. So let's just suppose I think, my handbag is not where I thought it was. Um, it's like the family circus cartoon. If you're old enough to remember that it's like he did it or we did it or not me, I didn't do it. So that is certainly a natural human, uh, response. So it, it's always troubles me a little bit. And I just really try to create ways for families and others to see this other than being, suspicious. Oh, well, mom is Mm -hmm. paranoid. Well, maybe Mm -hmm. she is, but let's talk about that a little bit more because maybe she's simply trying to fill in the gaps. You know, she's Mm -hmm. using a defense mechanism of the past. She's trying to normalize something. She doesn't really realize why it's happening. So she's trying to put a name or a label or fill in the gap. And, um, Mm -hmm. It's, that's a normal defense mechanism that we all do. So I always encourage people to try and think about what memory does and to try to normalize everything that the person is doing to the fullest extent that you can. And that way it becomes more accessible to talk about and not, okay, well, she's suspicious and then mm-hmm. just leave it there. Yeah. Um, I think we all need as we approach um, all the things that happen in Alzheimer's and dementia, we really need tools, we need workarounds, we need ways to engage and interact. And uh, that's that's very important to try to, you know, Freud told us that all behavior has meaning. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important um, as we as we engage when, in someone that is losing their memory and losing their judgment is to really understand what's what's trying to be communicated. Listeners of my podcast, Aging with Grace, you have uh, come to appreciate and hopefully enjoy the fact that I really like uh, factoids, I like puns, I like uh, bad jokes, and I t- tend to love regaling my listeners with both of those. And in that vein, Two things I'd like to share with you before we meet our guests for today, which is uh, Vic and Colleen Bitter. But the first one is uh, we're going to talk a little bit about marriage and um, passions and things like that. But the first part in terms of the in terms of marriage, um, according to the Population Council, did you know that people overwhelmingly tend to marry partners who live near them? 
So if you're not married, look around at your neighbors, look around at your friends, and who knows, that might be what will take you to that bridal path to matrimony. And then the final point, I was really curious about this. This is a little known factoid in my notes. Why is the wedding ring worn on the left hand? You ever wonder about that? Why the left hand? And so it turns out that this tradition can be traced back to ancient times, actually back to the Romans, who believed that the vein in the ring finger, which is the fourth finger on the left hand, can be traced directly to the heart. So the vein in the left, that fourth finger on the ring hand can be directly traced to one's heart. And because of this belief, the Romans called that vein vena amoris, vena amoris, or vein of love. I thought that was kind of a neat factoid. And I hope that my guests who are going to join us now, Vic and Colleen Bitter, are you guys there? We're yes. here. Yes, sir. Excellent. I hope you enjoyed that little factoid about uh, Vina Amoris. And, uh, <laughs> that so, was but, good. Yeah, is that kind of cool? Yes, sir. Yeah, I thought that was kind of fun. And so let's start off with the first part of our delightful interview. So I'm looking at engaging everyday people in my podcast, Aging with Grace. And since the Population Council said people overwhelmingly tend to marry partners who live near them, Vic and Colleen, is this true in your case? Yes. Oh, well, how it so? Is. Where'd you guys grow up at? I grew up in the Portland area of yeah. Louisville. Mm -hmm. And I'm from the West End, more so towards uh, the Fountain Ferry Park area down Market Street at 39th. Mm -hmm. So we were about a mile and a half away from each other. Not, not that far. Well, I like it when I cite a fact that I have to have someone who verifies it versus you guys say, I'm from Norway and I'm from Utah, you know? <laughs> so, right. so thank you for verifying that little known fact. How did you meet? Well, we actually <clears throat> ran in the same crowds and we only went to high school maybe a mile from each other both in the West End, further, closer to where Vic was. I was at the, the foot of Western part of Broadway, mm -hmm. and um, he was right down the road. And we <clears throat> knew of each other, but we really did not meet until after we both graduated and we ended up working at the same place in the West End. And that's how we actually ended up meeting. Where were you working at, Colleen? Harshaw Chemical Company. Oh, okay. So uh, two chemists or? I worked in the office. He worked in the lab. I was the chemist. The gentleman that I was dating was not available to go to my senior prom. So a good friend of mine whose boyfriend was in the band with Vic asked him to take me to my prom. But at the time they were playing someplace and the uh their manager didn't want them he couldn't let them all go to the prom <laughs> so <clears throat> and he didn't know me really at the time so okay um he we did not connect there but we almost had a connection in high school but it didn't happen until after high school mm -hmm. so we knew of each other but didn't make a connection till a few years later mm -hmm. When Vic was the uh, chemist and you were at the same plant. 
Uh, yes, yes. That's a great story. I love those kind of Americana stories. You guys got married uh, in 69. That's about, what, 50, 50 plus years? 52 mm-hmm. years this year in September. It was 51 52. last September. 2020 was 51. Uh-huh. 2021 in September, the 27th, it'll be 52 years. So what's the secret in uh, long-term marriage, Vic and Colleen? You want me to tell that joke? <laughs> <laughs> Please. Well, I think communication, talking to each other. Yes, it is. It's communications. We, we like the same things. Uh, Colleen is a wonderful singer. Uh, I'm a guitar player for many, many years. Uh, I give lessons. <laughs> and, uh, I can get myself around the guitar pretty well. And we have a good relationship around uh, music. Mm-hmm. Uh, we both love antiques and beautiful homes and not beautiful homes, interesting homes, mm-hmm. uh, necessarily in our opinion. They don't have to be big. Right. Uh, they can be just wonderful little cottages or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we just like all of that. We mm-hmm. like fabrics and mm-hmm. uh, the way the furniture's. So, so Colleen, you said it's communication. Vic, what do you attribute a long marriage to? I, I think we, we like each other and we, um, she's my best friend. If, uh, you ever want anything done, right. You go to my wife and she'll get it done for you. For the sake of time, we're going to end it there. And I think the things that you have in common, if you and Colleen would agree to come back on a future episode of aging with grace, sure. we'll talk about your passion for antiquing. Cause I think that's very, very interesting. And then uh, Vic, we'll, t- we'll touch a little bit uh, about your uh, interpretation of some historical figures if you guys are willing to come back on a future edition of Aging with Grace. Would that be okay? Absolutely. Be happy to, Dale. Very good. Thank you so much to Colleen, to Vic and Colleen uh, Bitter for sharing this time with us. Uh, and again, listeners, you are encouraged to share stories, share inside information, if you will, on what makes a marriage work how life works for you, what is going on in terms of uh, experiences or relationships, et cetera, anything in your estimation, which helps all of us to continue aging with grace. Thank you so much, Vic and Colleen. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Listeners to my podcast understand that in trying to create community, I encourage listeners, I encourage followers to share their uh, bad jokes, puns, whatever tickles your funny bone. Um, Well, do people still say funny bone? I don't know. But anyway, whatever you've got, send it to me and we'll give it a shot at uh, Dale, that's D-A-L-E, at A-W-G-55.com. In that vein of bad jokes... I have um, one from O'Shea. Actually, I've got two here from O'Shea, looks like. And I'm going to share both of them with you as follows. The first one is, what do you call a cow with no legs? What do you call a cow with no legs? Ground beef. (laughs) (laughs) oh ground beef that was pretty good (laughs) very bad and here's another equally bad uh joke from uh o'shea 
what do you call a cow missing its right two legs? What do you call a cow missing its two right legs? Lean beef. (laughs) Oh, I like that. So thank you, Shay, for sharing that. And if uh, anyone else has uh, some bad jokes or puns that you want to send my way as Shay did, please send them to me. That's Dale, D-A-L-E, at awg55.com. In creating community, I not only like to share jokes and puns and favorite recipes and other tidbits, I also always like to share a story, a story that may resonate with someone. And here's one as follows. There was a boy named Sparky who found school nearly impossible. He failed every subject in the eighth grade and later in high school, distinguished himself as the worst physics student in the school's history. He also flunked Latin, algebra, and English. He didn't find much success in sports and was awkward socially, which I'm sure many of our listeners can also identify with. Regrettably, this young man was disliked by his peers. More accurately, nobody even noticed him. He never had the nerve to ask a girl out on a date. He simply plodded along, knowing that he had the reputation of a loser. So sad. Unfortunately, there are still people like that. And we'll address that in a future episode. But right now, let's continue talking about Sparky, because the one thing that was important to him was drawing. He was so proud of his own artwork, even if no one else ever appreciated it. As a senior in high school, his cartoons were turned down by the editors of the school yearbook. In spite of his painful rejection, he believed he would one day become a professional artist. So after graduation, full of vim and vigor and ideas of a bright future, he wrote to the Walt Disney Studios. And guess what? He also sent them samples of his work, which were promptly rejected. So Sparky wrote his own autobiography in cartoons, and soon his portrayal of his own life became world famous. You see, folks, Sparky was a nickname for Charles Schultz, who created the Peanuts comic strip. Charles Schultz was Charlie Brown. Always rejected, never picked for a team, painfully shy, He was Charlie Brown, and he took this negative of no one even noticing him in the room, and he built a network. He built an enterprise, which before he died in 2000, stated his net worth in 1999 was $200 million. $200 million, because you see, you've got to keep moving. If you have an idea, never let it go. It's never too late because even with Charlie Brown, consider everything that happened to Charles Schultz. Rejected, failure in school, neglected, not popular. But later he became so popular that in 1969, being a proponent of manned spacecraft, Schultz was honored 
with the naming of the Apollo 10 command module Charlie Brown and lunar module Snoopy, which launched on May 18, 1969. You think it came so easy for Charles Schultz, ultimately earning $200 million. But in 1966, here's another bummer, bad thing that happened to him, if you will. In 1966, his father died while visiting him. And then later that year, his studio burned down. So in conclusion, if he could push forward, then no matter our circumstances, we too can push forward. Because you see, every person has at least one talent. And if you develop that talent, that's all it takes is one talent and believing that you can make it happen. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to listen to my podcast, Aging with Grace 55 Plus, presented in collaboration with Kentucky Chapter AARP. Keep in mind, aging is a lifelong process that if you choose to see new possibilities, you will find them every day. Aging is not a time of diminishment, but applying lessons taught by some of our best teachers, including experience. I'd love to hear from you. So reach out to me, dale at awg55.com by email, or visit our website, awg55.com. And now for a last thought for the day, good habits make time your ally, bad habits make time your enemy. So until next time, this has been Dale Josie, host of Aging with Grace.